0: How does a quarterback battle in Los Angeles affect you drafting Rams? Which AFC West receiver needs adjustment on your 2021 cheat sheets? And is there a shakeup among the elite tight end tier this season? Plus the 2020 FFPC Pros versus Joe's champs, Bip Lab Mandel and Hudson Kern-Reeve join us to talk about taking down the field last season how their strategy will get switched up for 2021 and much more. We've got a great show for you. Pharaoh Elliott is here. I'm Eric Balkman. Stick around. Your high-stakes fantasy football hour starts now. I can't stand the pressure. I've seen greater men than me,
1: these are lesser. Make out of the the Just because it was right there in the dresser, so easy. Pick me up, kiss me, and you squeeze me.
2: Broadcast live and heard around the world, you are now listening to the most entertaining hour of radio on the planet. Welcome to the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, presented by MyFFPC.com, with your hosts Eric Balkman and Farrell Elliott. The High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour is your home for analysis from the best players in the world. And now, because no one else was available, here's Eric Balkman and Farrell Elliott.
1: Eyes in their was
0: just white noise when we're speaking. let greetings and salutations to all of you bulkaholics and forelix. Welcome to the latest episode of the high stakes fantasy football hour presented by myffpc.com. I'm your slightly above average host, Eric Balkman. My co host is the definitive commissioner of fantasy football, Farrell Elliott. Farrell, welcome in. It is uh, not the show I hope to be doing. I hope to be talking a little Packers uh, Super Bowl. Uh, that will not happen. Maybe next year. Uh, I sound like a Cubs fan, which is ridiculous because I am not. But. Uh, There is always that next year, but we do have a great Super Bowl to talk a little bit about tonight. And we got a lot of great fantasy football stuff um, uh, that, you know, even we're in sort of like the quote unquote dead season. We do have a lot of news around the league that's affecting drafts right now in the FFPC.
1: Oh, buddy. You know, dead season that left me kind of cold bulky because I don't think there is any such thing. You know, there's, there's so much news going on. And if, if you couldn't find – if you like your news to come right from the football field, uh, all you had to do was spend some time on NFL Network this week and see what's happening in uh, Mobile at the Senior Bowl where COVID, despite COVID, we're still having a Senior Bowl. And uh, there were players down there that, that stood out. And Balky, you know – Steel waters run deep buddy i am i'm I'm sorry about Green Bay. you hadn't talked about it all week, and I'm surprised you brought it up, but uh, you know, yeah, next year's next, and we'll see what happens.
0: took me a little bit, I think by like Wednesday, maybe yesterday, I was over the loss, but I did take this one harder a little bit uh, more than than I had in previous years. It is what it is, moving on, speaking of which talking about the senior bowl. One Division three player was there this week uh, in Mobile, and he is Quinn Miners. I believe I'm pronouncing the name right. The uh, offensive lineman from the University of
1: Wisconsin-Whitewater. How about that? Anybody else stand out to you at the Senior Bowl this week, Farrell? There are. And by benefit of attendance, that young man stands out. And that's what's great about the small college players is they get in there and they get an opportunity to be noticed. That's the first guy you look at, because um, I'll give you three guys, uh, not Division three, but still small college. Kay Johnson from South Dakota State. Um, my uh, buddy Fenton, his kid uh, was on a swimming scholarship at South Dakota, and so he watches all that conference. Tell me about this player three years ago. Kay Johnson be a very interesting NFL slot receiver. If he goes to a team that needs one, there's a player that you can look at earlier uh, than you might think uh, for a rookie wide receiver that you don't maybe have never heard of. Uh, Demetric Felton. Uh, I saw this player when I scouted Josh Kelly last year, and, and I liked him. Uh, he uh, he kind of reminds me of Lynn Bowden Jr. Perhaps not the physicality, but a uh, multiple position player will play wide receiver in the NFL. And uh, then the player out of uh, North Carolina who uh, we watched here in the ACC conference tear up the University of Louisville, Mike Carter, very good running back, very explosive player. So I would give you those three, and um, I I would say that's a good start on uh, the 2021 senior bowl. We are
0: going to get into so much more Dynasty talk over the next three or four months on this program for sure, but wetting the appetites of all of our Dynasty listeners, including a couple of Dynasty players who may or may not be on the show tonight, um, it is going to be a a veritable cornucopia of Dynasty action Mm -hmm. beginning tonight. Um, Coming up on tonight's show, we're going to find out where the value lies in the Rams backfield in drafts right now. We're going to discuss how much of an investment you should make into Austin Eckler in 2021, and the dynamic duo of Bip Lab Mandel and Hudson Kern-Reeve will drop in to talk about how they took down 42 pros and 41 Joes to secure the bag in the 2020 FFPC Pros versus Joes competition, as well as how they plan on doing the same with their free entry into the 2021 FFPC main event where they can win a half million bucks. That will be definitely exciting. Shout out to the chat room right now. You can uh, post any questions you might have in there if you want to connect with us on Twitter. The show is at HSFFO, I am at Eric Balkman. Uh, Biplab is on Twitter at underscore underscore Rainmaker, and you can always check out the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship that Farrell runs at KFFSC.com. And as a reminder, not only do I play in it, but Biplab and Kern both play in it as well. You can jump into that in 2021 and compete against all three of us. You can post on our Facebook page at Facebook.com. Slash HSFF Hour and three four seven four two six thirty six eighty two three four seven game over. You can also email the show at the inbox high at gmail.com. If you do have any questions for us, send them in. We do have a celebrity uh, question for our listeners or for our guests on the show tonight, too. Can't wait to get to that, uh, as well as the rest of the questions, tweets, and emails in our fantasy feedback segment later on in the show. Thanks to our audio engineer, my best friend, Bryce, and our producer and mutual friend, Rob. Let's get the party started. Best ball drafts open at myffpc.com. Go to myffpc.com slash dynasty for sale and pick up a good discount on a dynasty orphan that's needing a new home for 2021. And then I know I misspoke last week. I said Lance Turbis was going to be on the high stakes lowdown this week. He will be on the premiere of Season 6 of the High Stakes Lowdown coming up next week. Season 7, actually. I think it's Season 7, actually, for the High Stakes Lowdown. Mm-hmm. That is coming up next week, rotobiz.com slash podcast. Thanks to football guys, Draft Sharks, Rota World, and Rob for tonight's rundown. Farrell, I don't know if you – or for tonight's fantasy flash, excuse me. Farrell, I don't know how, how much you delved into this, but I was reviewing my, my, the, the fantasy flash and the whole show rundown. There is a lot of Los Angeles football stuff on here tonight. A lot of Rams talk lot of chargers talk will kick things off in the middle of the country with the Cincinnati Bengals report in the athletic today stating that Bengals head coach Zach Taylor saying quote everything seems on pace in Joe Burrow's recovery from his ACL surgery the full quote from Taylor he's been around quite a bit he does everything he can possibly do right now he's adamant about that I'm very careful to make predictions but everything has been positive so far. Burrow is hoping to start throwing the football again next month if he can avoid setbacks doing that. There is a chance that he can be ready for week one. Farrell, as you look at this Bengals offense next year, the emergence of T. Higgins, you know, Tyler Boyd's still going to be there, could have a rookie receiver uh, in in the mix as well. They'll get C.J. Uzoma coming off that torn ACL, and then obviously Joe Mixon, Travion Williams. There's some pieces there you'd like to think that they help the offensive line in the draft. How concerned are you about Joe Burrow being ready for week one and how concerned are you in general about this Bengals offense?
1: If he is not ready to go, he's not ready to go. It's a real, real problem. You know, it, it's, he's on pace. Well, so what, what pace does that mean? has this kind of injury happened to before? Oddly enough, uh, I guess 10 or 12 years ago, Carson Palmer, you might say that mm-hmm. he returned to start on time. And then, we're all familiar with Carson Wentz. And, and Carson Wentz, uh, as I recall, missed a couple, maybe as much as three games. I know it was at least two uh, when, when he came back from this injury. Teddy Bridgewater's injury was probably much more involved than this. And, it's, it's you know, that's why I root for Teddy today because he, he had 15 months of rehab. I guess bulky as a player moves into this, uh, rehab and how hard you work is is very important, and uh, I don't think there's a question here about this player's dedication to football. The mental aspect then becomes part of it. How you're going to to hold up when when you play again? Um, this this kid's tough, and from the cloth he's cut from, I don't think that will be a problem. So I'm, you know, anyone who wasn't all in on being all for Joe Burrow. If he comes back and and plays, um, and he'll play better because he'll have a year under his belt, but if he comes back and plays with Abandon and and brings this team together like I know and think he will, then, uh, you know, I think everyone will be a a pretty big Joe Burrow fan. So, yeah, Yeah. I think we're going to be all good.
0: I, I hope you're right because I'm I'm definitely bullish on Higgins, especially next year too. The way that he played oh, yeah. this past season, I'm, I'm I'm very excited about him. And and obviously, you know, I'm rooting for Joe Burrow as well. Um, just from you know a, a football standpoint, the guy was awesome when he was healthy last year. Hopefully, they continue this, and hopefully, they can continue. Um, um, uh, he can continue his trajectory up uh, the uh, echelon in the uh, in the NFL, becoming one of the better quarterbacks there. All right, shifting uh, to a lesser um, determined quarterback situation, we could say out in Los Angeles, Jordan Rodriguez from The Athletic says the Rams, um, quote, happiness with John Wolford is not fleeting. Um, Rodriguez considers internal competition from Wolford the most likely scenario to battle uh, Jared Goff in the offseason and in training camp. Sean McVay, uh, according to uh, Rodriguez, says he likes Wolford's quote processing speed and the way he can extend plays with his legs. Uh, also, uh, his ability to move to reset his launch point, um, which uh, mm. helps in longer developing plays. Now, uh, Jared Goff didn't really have a great deep threat in in 2020. Jared Goff is not a very mobile quarterback. Jared Goff is a very you know the the, the, the definition of a um, of a not game manager, uh, like he's a statue and he's, he's sort of a, he's a, um, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Um, you know, what they said about, he's a system quarterback. That's what I was trying to think of, Mm -hmm. um, because he does what he's asked, um, up to his talent level and, and not anything else. Um, because of Goff's contract, because of the cap situation, the Rams are in, it's going to be very difficult for them to bring anybody else in. Farrell, I would imagine that Goff wins this quarterback competition, but I mean the the fact that they're not putting this much, you know, they're, they're not putting much confidence behind their starting quarterback. As, uh, as I'm referring to McVay here, does that give you pause on drafting guys like Robert Woods, drafting guys like Cooper Cup, um, where you did last year? Maybe, and we'll get into this a little bit later on, but Cam Akers and and Daryl Henderson, does that make you a little bit skittish about drafting any of these Rams position players, um, or do you still feel comfy knowing what Goff was able to do with them over the course of the 2020 season?
1: Hey, our beloved friend Bobby Sangerman always says, I turn off all the noise. So this is noise that needs to be turned off. Uh, Mr. Uh, Rodriguez, he's stirring up a little bit of stuff. Free Super Bowl week about the quarterback position. Listen, mm-hmm. Walford is six foot nothing. Uh, <laughs> not particularly physical. Uh, and, and, and I see this all over football. I've seen it for years. The most popular player... On a team is always the backup quarterback. Everybody loves him. The defensive side of the ball loves him. Every, but sometimes the coaches can fall a little bit into that. And um, I, I really don't. Um, I, I I think this commentary of things you like about a quarterback. There's things to like about Jared Goff too, and something about his talent level, I'm not ready to give up on him because all the same guys that are there running this business are the guys who drafted Jared Goff and paid Jared Goff. So they have a responsibility in this, too, to move forward with him. Um, Yeah, what is that about launch point? Yeah, I I think we will see most of – I agree with you. Goff will be the starting quarterback here. Goff should be better and more consistent next year. And if he isn't, um, his exit will be, his exit time will be predetermined from the Rams, but it won't be to give a lasting job to uh, John Walford, at least if everybody's thinking straight. But now, you know, in football, not everybody's thinking straight.
0: <laughs> you All got that time. right, my friend. No question about that. Yeah, uh, Walford, an undrafted free agent in 2018. We might be looking back on this in, in a few months. I think uh, we're both fairly confident, especially Farrell. Uh, that this will be a non-story, but we have more Rams to talk about here as the Seahawks have hired passing game coordinator formerly of the Rams, Shane Waldron, to be their offensive coordinator. Adam Schefter actually tweeted this out this week. Mm -hmm. Here's what's interesting about this. I never heard of Shane Waldron before. He's worked under uh, Bill Belichick. He's worked under Sean McVay, and he was the Rams passing game coordinator for the last three seasons after he was their tight ends coach there. It was a pretty successful passing offense despite Jared Goff there. Um, I don't know how much of an impact he had uh, because this is Sean McVay's offense. But th- here's what's interesting to me, Farrell. So Pete Carroll says after the season is over, he wants to really pound the ball. He wants to be able to run the ball more. And Scott Linehan um, was the offensive coordinator, or not Scott Linehan, um, Schottenheimer, was the, was the, yeah. John Schottenheimer was the offensive coordinator there. And you know this is a guy that that you know loved running the football, but I, I think there was at least to me it seemed like there was a fundamental disagreement on how to run this offense. So to me, even Schottenheimer wanted to pass the ball more, given Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Now you go out and get a passing game coordinator from the Rams. To, to me, this I don't know this. I I would have thought they'd get more of like a run ground ground and pound base type. Coordinator, and it seems like they're going the opposite way. Can you help me make sense of this? Because I'm not really sure what to make of it right now.
1: You might be overthinking it. Whether you throw the ball 20 or 40 times a game, you're going to have a passing game. And it, it's a, a guy that knows what to deal with opportunities. It's just like we play in fantasy football. We want our guys to get opportunities. Well, you know, the, the run game sets up the pass. Maybe Mr. Waldron, you know, he's a graduate of Tufts. If you love, I love looking at these resumes of coaches. I, I've always wondered because, I have some people out there associated with this team. I want to know where this guy comes from. This guy goes to Tufts, and he goes to a school there with the tuition now I don't know what it was when he went. But tuition now is about fifty thousand dollars a year. He walks onto the football team and becomes the long snapper. Yeah, you know <laughs> this is this is a real education you're getting in this place. When he gets out of college, he can't get a job, and this is when. I first met him. He worked for the Hartford Colonials of the, of the UFL or it, uh, some variant thereof. Uh, it, it, this guy is a football junkie and he's worked his way up from the bottom and he knows what to, you know, he knows how to make uh, the opportunities work that he's given. And look, he's going to be working with one of the finest quarterbacks that plays in the league and he's going to be working with the receiver that everyone in fantasy football is dying to draft. So it doesn't matter how much opportunities or what the head coach wants to do. This guy can take whatever he's given and make something work. It's a big, big opportunity for him. He's he's interviewed for a couple of jobs, and I'm surprised he hasn't got them because he's more than ready. He's authentic and he's genuine, and the players love him, and that's going to be very important because I saw something I didn't very much like in that All-Star game, and um, uh, that was uh, uh, the star wide receiver yelling for the ball in Seattle, yelling on the sidelines. Everybody could hear it. Next thing was next. Russell Wilson goes out and tries to feed him the ball, and the corner jumps the pass, and it was a pick six. And so, uh, you know, there's some things on that sidelines that need to be worked out. This is the kind of guy that can make Seattle work, and he's the kind You're of right. guy that uh, the head coach would love being around.
0: There you go. Okay. Well, I'm you, you've definitely so I would hire Shane Waldron based on this uh, recommendation from you, Farrell. This is
1: all Yeah, because you know, because, things, you know I mean. Smoking. Look, I couldn't have made it at Tufts College. I mean, you've got you've got girls up there in thick woolen sweaters. I mean, there nobody's want to buy anything <laughs> I'm selling up there. You know, they 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 had, they play teams like Wesleyan and Bates and Colby College. You know, Hudson Kern Reed can tell you all about it. But uh, you know, this guy's paid his dues and I think this is his home. I think he's from up in the Pacific Northwest. And you know, this has got to be you know, he's coming home to greatness and how old is the head coach? How Oh God, he's gotta be sixty nine, something like that? Yeah. Four or five years from now. Everybody might know who Shane Waldron is. Yeah, whole
0: Uh yeah, Pete Carroll is sixty nine. He turned seventy years old this year. By the way, you mentioned Wesley and going up against Tufts. Not only did Waldron go to Tufts, Phil Belichick, graduate of Wesleyan
1: University too, who Waldron yeah. worked under
0: for a little bit. Uh, amazing how yeah, that really all works those.
1: out. Oh, those East Coast guys are hanging together. Um, let's.
0: Um, I'm going to bring on our guests right now. Um, I not that we need to keep talking about the Rams, although we could. Um, we oh, uh, we have a couple. We we have a couple of them tonight, and um, yeah. I want to welcome back, first of all, an FFPC Best Ball Dynasty Football Guys Main Event Champ, including the eighth place finisher in this year's FFPC Main Event. Lab Mandel back onto these airwaves. Also, the other guest joining him tonight, making his long-awaited show debut. Uh, he has a, uh, a, a ton of titles in the main event, Football mm. Guys Players Championship, the FFPC Best Ball League. And he teamed up with Mandel to win the 2020 FFPC Pros versus Joe's competition this year. My pleasure to finally bring on maybe the only member of the Harvard Society of Fellows, who is a high school dropout, and who has penned more than 150 papers on the marriage between game theory and evolutionary biology, which he says has a lot in common with fantasy football, theoretically speaking, of course. He's currently a Cornell department chair in evolutionary biology who craves his raw Abilene, Texas roots as a passionate Cowboys fan. Thank you for doing the show this week, Hudson Kern-Reeve, and welcome back to Lab, Mandel. Gentlemen,
3: how are you? All right. you, Thanks for having us. Oh, this we're, is good. We're the this perfect guests for the
4: dead season in fantasy
1: football.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is the walking is dead, Biff Lab and Hudson yeah. and kern Reeve. It's, it's, it's just wonderful. Hi, guys.
4: It, it's a pleasure to be here at long last. This,
0: yes, at long last, indeed. Yeah, Kern, I've been trying to get Hudson on for, I don't know, years and years and years. And he's like, well, Balky, I'll come on. Just let me win something of note first. And he's had all these great finishes. He's won all this money. But finally, you and Bip Lab team up to win the 2020 Pros versus Joes, and I get you on. And just and we're coming up on our 500th episode ever, too. So I'm glad I somehow snuck you in in the first 500 episodes of this podcast, which is great. <laughs> we're going to talk much more fantasy football here. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of it, I want you guys to tell the listeners what, what you do for a living. Uh, Kern, I actually kind of – Spoiled the uh, the uh, the reveal there with you working at Cornell as a department chair, but and I know Bip Lab, you've told us before. But Bip Lab, go ahead. And then Kern, if there's any other details that you can that you want to share with us about how you're spending your days, that'd be great as well. Will do. Yep. Bip, yep, so I'll
3: leave it for Kern moment. You know, I'll keep it short. Um, I'm an executive vice president in an IT consulting organization, and I run a global delivery services team. Well,
4: uh, I, Kern, uh, am uh, a professor in the Department of Neurobiology and Behavior, as was mentioned. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about what I study. I study uh Animal decision making, especially decisions that animals make in in social groups, including uh, wasps, social wasps. No, not the murder hornets, but the wasps that probably <laughs> nest on the eaves of your houses. Uh, and also, I've studied naked mole rats, which was uh, for my PhD. And uh, right now, I'm studying social decision making in clones of bacterial cells. So it's all over the map, but the common theme is I'm interested in the evolution of cooperation and conflict in animals.
1: Balky, that is how I lured Hkr to play in Kentucky. I said, "Man, if we got a room full of animals for you, you got to come down here." (laughs) And it it was it was great. But I'm going to hope my first question is to Bip Lab before I get started. You know, near and dear to my heart is is my associate Jesse Bumstead, and Jesse is a self-educated guy. Uh, Did not go to college. He has a close relationship with BIP Lab. He often communicates with HKR. He's getting his college education by just through fantasy football uh, dealing with these two gentlemen. And and it's it's a pleasure. And for my test is I'm going to quickly ask my questions and shut up because in this kind of uh, company that we're keeping tonight, Balky, People may think I'm smart too, just for hanging out, you know. So here we go, Beth yeah. Lab. Uh, the pros versus Joe's competition. Congratulations to you both. The FFPC, in their wisdom, introduced this eighteen-round slim format uh, uh, in Draftmaster style drafting, uh, best yeah. ball drafting. So how did you, how did you modify? your strategy, knowing that you were coming in with the SLIM, and, and what was the biggest difference about it? And, and are you certain that you pers- – I suppose based on your true success that you will prefer that format as we move forward?
3: Yeah. Uh, great question, Farrell. You know, I mean, if you look at the two formats, right, typically in the 28-round standard best ball, you know, someone like me prefers carrying – three defenses and three kickers, and maybe one more sprinkled in, right? So that's six to seven positions gone, right, if you do the math, right? So from that standpoint, you know, it's really not a big transition, but the good news is, you know, you don't need to deal with the headaches of defenses and kickers, which could ruin your season, you know. I mean, they are so so deviant, you know, week to week um but you know in the 28 format i also like to carry three quarterbacks and that was a discussion point here do we go with three quarterbacks or do we take two promising upside quarterbacks and and not go for the third right and then we wanted mm-hmm. to go with three tight ends right so once you decide the number of quarterbacks and tight ends in this format you know then it's all about filling up your running backs and wide receivers, right? So we wanted to go three tight ends, grab a tight end early, right? That that was the plan. And then in the draft, you know, we were probably going to take Henry, Sanders, or Kelsey, although I did tell – that we were not going to get Sanders because Nelson Souza was uh, drafting before us and he's not going (laughs) to pass Sanders you know and I've been (laughs) studying him for years you know he's a great player and 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 we learn a lot from him right so so it came down to Derek Henry or Kelsey and thankfully Kelsey was there so we grabbed him at that spot and then decided you know we would front load running backs because of the best ball format and fill up other positions later
0: Kern, I want to talk to you a little a, a little bit about um, what, what you saw um, in the previous Best Ball Slim drafts in the Pros vs. Joe's format. I, but before I do, Pip Lab, I do want to ask you one follow-up to that. When you and Kern were talking about, okay, how many quarterbacks do we want, how many tight ends do we want, was that at all fungible um, based on how the draft was falling to you? Did you guys have a set um, number in mind that you were going to stick to prior to the draft? Or was that? Did you discuss like, okay, well, maybe we'll we'll make make up our minds to see how the draft goes versus see whether we're going to roster two quarterbacks, whether we're going to roster three quarterbacks, yep. the number of our
3: tight ends. Uh, how how did that shape up as the draft moved on? So so it's it's always a balance, right? Like for example, we had the tentative idea of what we wanted to do we had the tentative idea of targeting certain offenses and staying away from certain others and then there were some players which we will talk about like antonio gibson no matter what we wanted to draft him yeah. right so so that was part of the strategy and then obviously you know hudson being the genius he is you know i had asked him to figure out okay which are the high upside receivers or players you know who on week-to-week basis might have big games and crests and falls and and then let's target some of those types of players so what we don't want is consistent floors but high high ceiling players right so some of that thought process was there but you know in these formats you always have to be flexible right and adjust according to what the other players are doing uh, Kurt, let me, let
0: me talk to you about um, the because this was you guys drafted on the fifth night. Now, there were seven pros versus Joes drafts this past year. There was a slow draft. And then obviously the six live ones that you heard on this show. You guys were on night five. How closely were you following the, the, the first four nights? And did you guys change up any strategy based on what you had seen um, players doing in the first ever best ball slim edition of pros versus Joes?
4: Yeah, I followed uh, several of the uh, initial pros versus joes, probably uh, uh, three out of the four. And uh, it, it, it it helped to form some general principles. You know, like a Bip was saying, we, we dynamically followed, you know, the, the course of the picks and, and would discuss each pick. Oh, somebody did this. We didn't expect this. So let's adapt. But we still had some general principles that we went into the draft with. That were based on what I had seen from uh, from the other pros versus Joes. Our general first general principle, the main one, is uh, zig when everybody else is zags, because you want to set your team apart from the rest of the the crowd, so that you have a chance of uh, ascending to the to the very top. So one of them is that we wanted to take high upside players. Uh, we drafted we we weighted uh, players by their ceilings probably more than we would in just a normal. Classic league, for example, with just 12 competitors, because we felt like we wanted to compete against the the entire group. Plus, we were up against some of the industry uh, industry greats as well. Also, we didn't, unlike what, what was happening in the other pros versus Joes, we didn't want to put as much weight on rookies, even the ones that we knew were going to be talented, like Jonathan Taylor and Cam Akers, because we figured it would take a while for them to be worked into the offenses, and by that time uh, we might fall too far behind in the point standings. Uh, we did take uh, Jerry Judy, but we didn't go overboard on some of the rookies, like many of the other uh, players, even the uh, the uh, pros uh, did. And finally, and this went against my grain because I had and uh, the football guys had been prone to go after the the Mahomes and the and the Lamar Jacksons relatively early. We wanted to wait on our quarterback, and uh, we were extremely happy to end up with Josh Allen in round eight. I think that was one of the keys to the success of our team. And then we drafted uh, Burrow uh, three picks after that as our backup. We didn't do we didn't take any more quarterbacks. We invested in some late round players that we thought uh, might pan out. And the one that really came through for us, and I got to give Beth the, uh, the majority of credit for this, was. Corey Davis on the last pick. Yeah. Really, for course, uh, we, we thought about it. A rookie, maybe an upside, like a, a really obscure a DuVernay, for example, for the Ravens. But Corey Davis, I think, was a real differentiator for our team.
0: That's I, I, excellent, I Corey. Corey Davis game. so much, oh. just, just curiously. Sorry, what did you that, say? Yeah, no, Bip. Uh, that last that last yeah. round where you guys were deciding, you know, between a rookie or, or whoever and whatnot. Why why did you convince Kern that that Corey Davis was the right way to go oh. there? Because you were clearly right.
3: So so one of the thought processes there, Bunky, because the last picks when you get to that right, it's all about upside, and I would say calculated risk versus foolish risk, right? And Corey Davis, you know, I mean, the thing is. With wide receivers and tight ends, they take four five years to develop. I mean, Devante Parker burnt me for five years. I dropped him in Dynasty, and then he <laughs> breaks out, right? So, yep. so <laughs> you, you know, and me one both, of the thought process was, Here's a fifth round. He's uh, a fifth overall pick on a team where I was not completely sold out on EJ Brown. Now he did great, and and then Tannehill was starting to do something good there. Why not take a chance on a talent like Corey Davis versus a Miles Boykin or Russell Gage or, or even a Duvernay, right? So that was the thought process. You know, nobody knew he would be this good, but that that's how we ended up with him.
1: Well, guys I knew Corey Davis would be good there and even I knew it so so you're not you're you guys you guys are not impressing me that much with that Corey Davis, although how sweet <laughs> he was to have in this format because you didn't have to make any decision on starting him. But what you guys do impress me with, is you get better every year. You've proved it uh, here. You you prove it in the FFPC every year and have for many years, and now you've won this big, big tournament. So Balky says by winning this, you're going to get a complimentary credited FFPC team, and that's the best kind to have. So uh, HKR, I'm coming in with you. And I I want to get a follow-up here based on how you answer this. But you guys got Allen. A lot of the other guys that we've had on the show since I've joined Balky uh, it had great success because they waited on Diggs. One of the players that was still available late, later than he should have been this year, uh, was Keenan Allen. And he's still flirting with big numbers, although he didn't return to his 2017. He gets a new offensive coordinator, Uh, this year which may push him over a thousand yards and beyond so I want to know what you guys are going to do in the future and 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 where you're going I want to talk about Keenan Allen because I thought it was crazy that he was available in the sixth round where is he going to be available when we get to Las Vegas when we get to Louisville in 2021
4: great question so yes, just to to confirm, we were very excited to land him at that point. We had him rated highly, and we kept wondering how far he was going to drop. So we snapped him up as soon as we could uh, after we had solidified our our running backs uh, with David Montgomery, which also was was a useful pick for us. But what's Allen going to do? Well, so Biff and I are going to have a main event team, and uh, if if we uh, if if you're asking us how we might be rating Allen right now, I think. Joe Lombardi's, uh, uh, you know, making the transition from from quarterback coach for the Saints to offensive coordinator is going to pay off big for Allen. Uh, you know, I looked back at some uh, Lombardi's uh, previous accomplishments in, in the passing game, and I, I don't think a lot of people know that in 2014 and 15 he actually had Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate both be 1,000 yard receivers. And of course he's a he's he's known as a quarterback whisperer. I think he's going to be great for the the passing game uh by, you know, tutoring Herbert and that means Keenan Allen is probably going to be the, the wide receiver one and is going to reap the dividends of it. I would be willing to consider drafting him mid-second to early third round, not certainly waiting till the 603 or uh you know the the place where he normally went in the ffpc last year so i'm i think
1: i think you're you're going to get him that's where you would have to go and get him we spoke a little earlier about shane walter and a name you're not familiar with lombardi is a name where you know you get saddled with the name that's on the super bowl trophy and your your you know your grandfather is this vince lombardi and you wonder when you go in for a job interview uh, how does how does that work? What do you have to prove when you go? I wonder if that's a blessing or a curse. His blessing has been delivered to go with to this team with this quarterback. And uh Keenan Allen, which you think will will go up and I think that's where you'll have to draft him. So quickly I wanna I wanna go a little off script and ask you about the other side. Uh what about the receiver Williams, who everybody just dies to draft? Can you see some consistency uh-huh. and some development for Williams as you go forward?
4: Yeah, I think both of the I, I think both of them are gonna develop. I, I would take of course Allen over Williams, but I think Williams is gonna greatly outperform what he did last year. I think he was a bit of a disappointment to a lot of people last year. Uh, I think he's going to be uh, a, a potential sleeper this year and, and rise up the ranks too. And I'm, I'm actually excited about Eckler uh, for the same reason. I think the the I, I think he has a lot of potential in this offense. Uh, if you you know think about where Lombardi was you know coming from with the Saints and so on, so uh, I see a i i see a role for him for all three of them. Uh, that's going to propel them up the uh, up the uh, draft board.
0: You know, by the way, as long as we're talking about Joe Lombardi, 62 years ago to the day, fellas, Vince Lombardi was hired as the coach and general manager of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, so we're celebrating that anniversary in Northeast Wisconsin today. Um, Keenan Allen, by the way, in uh, FFPC uh, best ball drafts currently – um, and remember, I, and you guys talked about it too, his value was obviously depressed last year, and everybody thought Tyrod Taylor was going to be tossing him the rock, not uh, the new um, uh Justin Herbert. Keenan Allen, and we get this data from FantasyMojo.com, Darren Armani, who puts this all together. Wide receiver 10, guys, at the 308 is his average spot mm. right now. Right after wow. um, guys like Calvin Ridley, A.J. Brown, right before guys like Allen Robinson and Chris Godwin. That is where Allen's... Uh, Value is lying in, in drafts right now. We'll get into much more Keenan Allen stuff as the uh, season goes on. We're talking to the 2020 FFPC pros versus Joes champions, Lab, Mandel and Kern Reeve. I, I, I feel like I asked this question. I know, um, Lab. this is not the first time that, that you have competed in this competition before, but the biggest adjustment that you make or that you think you have to make when you're normally used to going up against 11 FFPC Joes in every draft, and now you switch where you're going. You have five joes, but six pros that may or may not be as familiar with the format. How much do you switch up your strategy in this?
3: Well, can I talk some smack here? <laughs> yes, please. Um, you know, to be to be honest, I I love these drafts where half of it are pros and half of it are joes because. You know, to be honest, I have found drafting against Joes more difficult than pros, <laughs> you know. And in pros versus Joes, all the Joes are main event players where they are doling out $1,800 for a team and so they know their staff, right? Now, pros are great, you know, great analysts. Good good information about technicalities of the game and a lot of brilliant stuff, but they do not have what we say you know the drafting experience right not all of them might be drafting hundreds of teams a month right so that's where I feel sometimes Joe's get an ex, get an edge over pros now that being said in this draft it was difficult because you had people like nelson Sosa you know the the king of best ball drafting, you know, Matt Sharp. I just see him crushing best balls everywhere. Um, and then you had uh, an analyst like Graham Barfield, you know, and we were sandwiched between Souza and Barfield. Right. So, so it was a tough draft, but I think what happened was we got the value we wanted for example, uh, from a fantasy standpoint, you know, dynasty players like us, we were very much into Antonio Gibson very early in the season. And, and we're very happy at the ADP we got him. If this was a draft with more Joes than some of the players we play against, he would have probably gone in fourth or fifth round. So so those were some advantages I thought we got. And I and, and I love drafting with pros. Uh, that's why, you know, any day I'll take them over Joe.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're really on to something. I think you're really on to something there. Not often... I've often thought that is is that uh the f f p c players the finest players in the world and when you bring in when you bring in guys that that do this for a living they've really got somebody to uh to compete against- against these players you know we, we've been sticking out on the west coast we're talking about these coaching changes um let's talk a little bit about the Seattle Seahawks because uh, I could not get a feel for which team was going to show up. and it, it, if you look back at the season, you you really got a team for the first eight weeks that played one way and then and then for the second eight weeks that played another. And uh, Metcalf is is a terrific player. Uh, I'd like to know how high you think he is going in the draft this year. But how do you expect various Seahawks players to recover? from the disappointing end of this season, and will there be a hangover effect? And are you hesitant to draft Seahawks players, or are, or possibly could some of these guys become your bargain players due to a type of recency bias on what we saw over the last few weeks?
3: Yep. Yep. No, and and Farrell, I must give you a shout out. You know, the the best education I've gotten on Shane Waldron so far was the first five minutes of this podcast, right? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever I say is probably going to be speculative and and what I'm speculating, but then we are six months away from football and a lot will evolve. You know, the interesting thing, though, uh, what I was reading some time back is Russell Wilson was very vocal about, Sticking his nose into the offensive uh, coordinator hire, right? And I'm assuming mm-hmm. he had some say in this hire. Now, where uh, Waldron comes from, you know, from a Sean McVay offense, you know, I mean, I'm wondering if he incorporates more play actions, more scramblings, you know, more bootlegs, rollouts, you know, and and I'm wondering if he leverages Wilson's strength of being a mobile quarterback, right? And if he can do that, I, I think the passing game and and more of a high-flying offense will happen here because Wilson is a big upgrade over Jared Goff and he can best deep ball thrower, you know, right now. And and interestingly, you know, where Waldron comes from, I think the tight end game might also elevate at Seahawks, you know, which, which have been none to non-existent. And there is a sleeper guy for Dynasty's I like, you know, on that team, Colby Parkinson, you know, I've picked him up from waivers in some of my dynasties. I feel that kid will develop over a period of time. And, and, and if you look at where Warden comes from, you know, Rams have had Higby and Everett delivering for a long period of time. So I actually feel the offensive players will be fine. I think if they fall, I will still draft them. I am not a Penny or a Chris Carson guy. So, you know, for me, Metcalf, uh, Lockett, Wilson, I'm just going to draft them the way I would draft, even if Schottenheimer was there.
0: Hmm. DK Metcalf going in FFPC best balls right now as wide receiver five, fellas. That's wide receiver five at the 208. Tyler Lockett not going until wide receiver 24. That's at the 512 uh, for the receivers. Russell Wilson currently being drafted um, as Qb8 at the end of the sixth round. So technically you could get all three of them on your team if you did want the Seattle Seahawks stack in 2021. Um, we're talking with the pros versus Joe's champs from last year, Biblab Mandel and Kern Reeve Kern. Um, you know just shifting to the other coast here briefly for a second. There's going to be a lot of young talent on the Philadelphia Eagles in in 2021. There's also going to be a lot of turnover, a lot of guys that were there last year that either won't be on the team or they're going to have very, very relegated roles uh, as to what they've been enjoying over the course of their career there. Um, Nick Sirianni is is now the the new head coach. What do you think about guys like Miles Sanders and Jalen Rager um, who, who clearly, you know, are are foundation pieces of this offense, and that's who you typically want to draft. How nervous would you be about investing in those guys in the first year under head coach Sirianni and then Shane Steichen as the offensive coordinator? Uh,
4: I think I've done a little bit of research on their uh, their philosophies, and uh, I I think they're going to actually institute, implement philosophies that are going to be conducive to improvement by both, uh, especially Sanders. So it appears that they're going to be emphasizing the run game more. Uh, In in particular, they're going to uh, be instituting play-action passes more often. Uh, Unfortunately, I think that, you know, there was an imbalance in the offense uh, originally with the Eagles. They they passed something like two-thirds of the time. Uh, as, as opposed to the Chargers, where Serrani and Sykin came from, which is closer to 50-50. It was, I think, it was 58.7, something like that percent when I uh, calculated the figures. Um, the uh, so that means it's going to be a more balanced offense, and it's going to be based on play-action passes that uh, in- increase the degree of unpredictability. And I like that for both the run game and the pass receivers. Obviously, it means more touches for Sanders, but it also may mean uh, more openings, more yards after ca- uh, after catch for Rager, because uh, there's a study. I don't know how often people uh, have come across this in, in their fantasy football research, but there was a study done several years ago showing that the most unpredictable offenses, the more unpredictable an offense is, the more successful it is, you know, keeping the talent huh. fixed. Uh, they, they tend to score more points. And that's because, it, you know, the defense has to uh, it, con- continually adjust and they can't just fixate. And one of the properties of, uh, you know, an even uh, a balanced offense is that it's more pre- unpredictable. Play-action passes just sort of in- inflates that unpredictability. So I expect uh, an uptick in the production of both Sanders and Rager. I think I'd be especially – uh, prone to uh to rate Sanders higher this year.
1: So for me, he's a, a somebody you go out and get. Bulky, I'm just waiting for you to come with your follow up question. You it, it, there you can't find one, can you? Can you find a follow up well, question? I, I, I no, I, I oh, yeah. no,
0: listen, I, I will just say this, uh because I know people are like, okay, that's interesting. This is this is good to know, but how do I apply this to drafts? Well I'll tell you this. Miles Sanders, right now, three hundred one. Think about him going. You know, and Bip Lab talked about this earlier. You know, guys like Nelson Sousa were drafting him super early. I, I know two Packer drafted him first overall of a Football Guys Players Championship draft last year. Now he's fallen to the three hundred one. And Rager, I mean, is is just you know, and I know it's not like he didn't light the world on fire, but wide receiver fifty four for a second year receiver who was drafted in the first round last year. Man, that seems like yep. a, a definitely a That's risk a big worth draw. taking. And I would take him a lot higher than the 13th round, I'll tell you that right now. Well, I think, I think Sanders to... will outperform.
4: I think he'll outperform what he did uh, last year, but he, his draft position, the correct draft position for him uh, may not be as high as it was uh, last year. I right. just think there's yep. more confidence in taking him at
1: that, that uh, higher spot now. Uh, HKR, I'm going to stay with you and then we're going to go with BipLab Lab because I want to I want to ask you each the same question. Uh, but I, I want to preface that with the realization that FFPC Pros versus Joes may have awakened a monster and created a, an immovable force of fantasy football with you two <laughs> teaming up. It's a scary prospect of... Uh, to sit down at the table and compete against you guys individually, uh, perhaps even more so as a team. So I'll be interested in the future of seeing what you do about that. But I I would like to ask you that we'd ask this of everybody that comes on the show and you've already nailed a couple of them with um, talking about Corey Davis. Uh, but, but I, I don't know if I want to ask this question: Is what happened last year, or what's go- what do you think is going to happen this year? Because you're already doing your prep, but I guess we got to stick with last year. Who did you really, really hit home with that you knew was going to be was going to deliver for you significantly, and who did even you guys? And, and we can break out of your pros versus Joes team and talk about your individual teams if you want, but who did you guys strike out on that you're willing, that you don't hold a grudge, and you're willing to come back and draft in 2021? Well,
4: I uh, I was very pleased with what I was able to get out of Anthony, uh, Antonio Gibson, uh, Gibson uh, because I was able to pick him up uh, pretty late. Uh early on in the season, and this is why I like drafting football guys, for example, in the first half of the season, he was available in the ninth and tenth round. And uh, it, he, he produced extremely well uh, at, at, at that point. I expect him to, to continue to ascend. And he's somebody I'm not going to be able to get that cheaply, obviously, this upcoming year. But he's somebody I expect to develop and uh, possibly uh, enter the realm of the studs. Uh, this upcoming year, so he's somebody I'm going to keep going for. Um, I uh, was also very happy with uh, Darren Waller. Uh, in the in the, I, I like to take tight ends, uh, elite tight ends, fairly early. I was burned in a few leagues uh, by taking Ertz, for example, but I was uh, more than happy to to take Darren Waller a little bit later and uh and obviously get a lot more production and those teams were propelled into uh into the money in a number of uh, football leagues so i i was uh, quite lucky in that respect um but uh but i had uh, i had a number of duds too uh Ezekiel Elliott. i'm a dallas cowboys fan, oh. so this one really hurt um it was a very strange year for the cowboys with the with obviously their their quarterback uh, being hurt, and Elliott not playing up to snuff. Part of it was that the offensive line uh, was was uh, it was mm-hmm. constantly injured and there was lots of turnover. But Elliott didn't seem to play with the quickness and fire uh,
1: that you I know. had seen
4: in previous years.
1: Uh, and How many times did you draft him? Did, did you have the third spot and he was your default player for the third position?
4: Almost always, yes. Yes, and that's what and that's what the the source of the consternation was. you nailed
3: it what
0: um, about you yeah
3: Bitlen? yep
0: yeah
3: yep. so so for me, I think we talked a lot about Gibson, you know, and that one we and both of us had very strong feelings about you know going into drafts, and most of my teams, you would have found Gibson, you know if I were able to uh draft him in fact, you know we were drafting Gibson over the like, you know, Swift or Dobbins or some of those guys uh, even, right? So we really had a strong feeling there. The other player for me was Deontay Johnson. You know, most of my teams last year uh, would have had him as a player to the extent that I got scared once thinking 70%, 80% of my teams have him and I started trading him in some dynasties just (laughs) to diversify, Right. So he was one, and I think he started rough, but he delivered towards the end. Um, two players who burnt me, um, and I'll try to stay away, are Odell Beckham and Keyshawn Vaughn. You know, Kern and I were also very much into Keyshawn Vaughn at the start of last season, and that didn't work out. And Ronald Jones really surprised us what, what he did, and, and, you know, someone I'll probably stay away from. My Vaughn fever is gone. But one player I'll tell you who broke my heart last year, and Farrell might know from my KFFSC team, 90% of my teams there had Tony Pollard, and I still believe in Pollard, so he's someone I'll still go after this year. In fact, I was going to cry when I saw him finally start, and Elliot was hurt. (laughs) (laughs) But Tony Pollard is someone I still believe in, and next year again, someone I'll go after, even though he didn't do much this year.
1: And he plays with like what
3: HUD, what Hud is missing. He plays with that
1: uh, that burst and that enthusiasm and, and yeah. that uh, real energy on the field.
0: Kern, are you going to be a fan mm-hmm. of drafting Tony Pollard in twenty twenty one? Being the Cowboys fan that you are,
4: I'm rating him higher. I think he's going to have a bigger role next year. Uh, so I would. Uh, I'm not sure I w- where I would take him yet, but uh, uh, I, I think if I got uh, uh, Zeke. I would uh, be more consistent at making sure I get Pollard in the later
0: rounds. Yep. Yeah, Elliot uh, um, is going uh, obviously still in the first round, but right at the end of the first round, instead of um, in, instead of the uh, the beginning like he was last year. Tony Pollard, running back, thirty eight, going at the nine uh, ten turn right now. So that is what you have to invest in uh, the Dallas running game, assuming that it does stay right. with those two players after the draft and free agency. All right, guys, we are running out of time here. I do want to get to one extra special email from a listener tonight. Uh, it's a guy that I know you guys are both buddies with, and I think this question is more directed to Kern, but I will uh, read it to you. He writes, interested to get to the root of the successful strategy. Can you ask the professor if he has found his research and conclusions from prom- promiscuous honeybee queens and the super sexy sperm hypothesis useful in developing his fantasy football strategy and if he can share how it applies. Hope all is well, signed, John Terry, uh, former guest of this show, actually. Uh, he has uh, been, been on here several times. So, Kern, I don't know if you can enlighten us a little bit, and and maybe I need to brush up on it. Uh, maybe I need to get in to take some of your classes uh, at Cornell to sort of find out what yeah. I'm missing here. But, but perhaps you can shed some light on this a little bit.
4: Well, yes, it turns out that, uh, that honeybee queens uh, mate with many, many different males, up to 30 or 40 different males, okay, a single queen. And they use the sperm of all those males equally. And it's been a paradox in, uh, in the study of social behavior why the queens would mate with so many males. And uh, I, I, I won't go into the details of the sexy sperm hypothesis, but the idea <laughs> is that you mate, if you're a queen, if you, you mate with many males, you're going to create a lot of different genetically different workers and increase the chance that at least some of them will be resistant to any diseases that uh, try to infiltrate the colony. So that it doesn't one disease can't wipe out your entire worker force because they're all genetically the same. So it's a way to create genetic variety in the colony, which is beneficial to the colony because it's more likely to survive as a whole. Uh, by the way, that's the same reason that sex is, uh, according to evolutionary biologists, evolved to create variety so that you can outwit your offspring can can survive at least some of them. Against the prevailing pathogens that they encounter in their lives, so it's a deep theory I, that probably would take about an hour to lecture. <laughs> but, but I'd like to say something about John Terry. So yeah, he's in the fi, he's in the the Dynasty five hundred one group, and uh, it's, this is one of the two major groups that I love because I. I see these we have all we, these two groups have group mes where we're constantly exchanging information about fantasy football and uh, i I encourage everybody, especially if you're in a dynasty, get into uh, a, a regular chat with your with your uh, your your opponents and exchange information because you'll it'll sharpen your fantasy football skills as much as anything that I've ever encountered. My other one are the 26ers. In the two hundred fifty twenty six uh, dynasty league, uh, which have their own set of brilliant uh, people, they have uh, they're going to be a, a rising force in fantasy football. So I want to give a shout out to them. If you want to if you want to know how you really learn how to how to pick players, you use a, a, a deep learning mechanism called uh, MetaLytics, which I'll leave as a mystery now. But it's more it's more powerful than machine learning or deep computer learning you'll, you'll have to find that out from the 26ers so anyway thank you john for your for your
0: penetrating question and uh, oh. <laughs> i'll just have to
4: leave my explanation at the level where i left it
0: well, and, and I'm thankful for the question because I know when, when we're when the three of us are all competing in, in Kentucky this, uh, this coming year with, with at Farrell's event, I know at least one of my team names will be Sexy Sperm Hypothesis, no <laughs> doubt. Uh, I don't know how I haven't used it yet already. Um, fellas, we're running out of time. Before we let you go, and I appreciate you guys being patient and hanging on a little bit tonight. It's been so
1: much fun. Farrell does have one more question for you guys. Oh, my goodness. I thought you might have answered this one already, but I'll, I'll give it to you, and I'll give it to you quickly. Uh, a couple of selections, guys, is what we're looking at. Uh, guys that will be overdrafted, and you can't use anyone you've already said before. So guys that will be overdrafted. Balky's looking at all the early numbers. Uh, and, and guys that you think will slip that you want to get your hands on because of that slip.
3: Great Question, Farrell, I'll go first. So from my standpoint, you know, this will be an interesting year, I think, 2021, where you'll see a lot of running back and wide receiver depth in the middle, middle middle, round. So I'm probably not going to reach for a player like Jonathan Taylor at the ADP he's going. You know, that scares me because, you know, Hines will still be around. So I'm not going to take him fifth or sixth overall. Um, and uh, you know, build my team accordingly, and I'm not going to touch any receivers probably in early second or mid-second because I do believe there will be a lot of value in later rounds. And one player I expect to fall is Cortland Sutton. I've always liked him and he's coming out of injuries and people will forget, but Judy has not uh, impressed me, and I'm probably going to grab uh, Kotlin Sutton in later rounds because I think he'll outplay his ADP.
4: Ah, well, uh, a couple of players that intrigue me, I think, that uh, are going to rise up the draft charts uh, are uh, Chark and uh, Chenault with uh, Trevor Lawrence throwing to them. I'm intrigued to see what's going to come of that. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not... Very excited about uh, the any any New England running back. Uh, I, I'm I'm really worried about what kind of decisions to make about them and how to value them. Uh, you know, I'm talking about Sonny Michelle, Damian Harris. I expected a lot more from this year. He didn't flash like I expected to, and in, in the opportunities he had, I don't know what's going to happen to James White and that offense may struggle for a while. depends on what kind of quarterback they get. I know Belichick is brilliant and will come up with some kind of new scheme, but I'm worried about all of them. And I have to say that Odell Beckham's uh, plight has made me wonder whether he's already peaked out and, uh, and uh, never to return to the heights that we saw him in
1: uh, a few, just a few years ago. Balky, well, think talk- about it. These guys are already at this point, and we're not even into Super Bowl week yet.
0: Well, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is part <laughs> of the, the, the work ethic, the dedication, and the sheer natural talent of, of people who are able to win uh, the 2020 FFPC Pros versus Joes. Kern has a ton of football guys, players, championship leagues that he won uh, not only this year but in several years. And BIP Lab, eighth overall in the FFPC main event this year. So no question, this is the type of uh, analysis we expect. And and by the way, my expectations were exceeded once again tonight from you guys. I can't thank you so much. Uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, for for coming on tonight and 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 sharing your analysis not only going back to your draft in in this past July in 2020 looking back on your pros versus Joe's draft but Giving us a, a lot to chew on, a lot to think about for the 2021 season. I can't wait to um, to to get it going again in Kentucky, get it going again in Vegas, and start competing with you guys, picking your brains, and um, and and uh, seeing what happens in 2021. Thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations on the success and good Thank luck you. in 2021.
3: Thank you. Thank I'll you guys. Good night. Have a good weekend. I'll be back Thank in the you guys. chat room
4: next week to to drink from the fountain of knowledge. Thank you.
3: Oh yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> the the uh, well, maybe we'll get some questions on the sexy sperm hypothesis. You never know what's going to come okay. up there. that's a deal. Thanks, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Fair, feral, uh It, it was uh, it was awesome tonight hanging out with Bip Lab, hanging out with uh, with Kern, and I'm glad we got some senior bowl analysis. And this was our official Shane Waldron introduction show. I know we'll have much Mm. more to say about him in the coming weeks as well. I want you to be good and enjoy your weekend, and we'll do this again next Friday, dude.
1: And I want to say one thing. We've mentioned him a couple weeks now. Um, Lance Turbs, you know, I I miss him. I haven't spoken to him in about a year. But, Balky, the one thing I can say about him is that dude abides, and I will say good (laughs) evening to you.
0: Yes, he does indeed abide. Thank you, Farrell Elliott. Check out Farrell at the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship, KFFSC.com. Hopefully you can uh, hop aboard and compete against uh, myself and Kern and Biff this year. Always a great time in Louisville. Always a great time in Cincinnati. Always a great time online. Um, All the different ways that you can compete in the KFFSC. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I do apologize that we could not get to any emails tonight. Um, we're, we just had the conversation flowing with Bip and Kern. We will um, we'll get to your emails next week. I promise you. I want to thank Bip Lab, Mandel, Hudson, Kern, Reed, Farrell, Elliott, the FFPC, Rob Rice, and of course each and every one of you. As Farrell pointed out, Lance Turbis will be on the High Stakes Lowdown this coming Thursday. Um, We're recording the episode, I don't know, sometime next week, but it'll be out Thursday morning, photobiz.com slash podcast. Next Friday on these airways at 10 9 Central, the 2020 FFCC main event, ninth place finisher, Franco Vendomi. Finish right behind Zip Lab Mandel. uh, made event this past year. He will be on the show next week.
2: Register for pick up sports, weekend starts now. This has been another episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com. It was broadcast live and heard around the world. Balky and Farrell will be back next week with more analysis, interviews, and advice from guests much smarter than they are. Thanks for listening and we'll talk with you again next week.
0: Thanks to Frederick the Younger as well, who did our outro music. All their music can be found at fredericktheyounger.com. Check out the Quiet Hollers at quiethollers.com. Uh, the intro music is um, is who we thank for them, or is who we thank for that as well. Um, Turvis on Thursday, then Domi on Friday. Um, it may be the quote unquote dead time of year. They will get into more some Senior Bowl stuff next week with Farrell, um, but there's plenty of uh, draft action going on at myffpc.com. Hopefully you can apply this knowledge that you learned from Bip and Kern tonight and to uh, crushing a few drafts at myffpc.com. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.